So, beginning again. I was just sitting here before we started this morning and um, and then just feeling an enormous sense of gratitude actually for this practice and this path. Even though I spent a considerable amount of time whinging about it all and whinging about Buddhism and <laughs> its terrible patriarchal problem. But... Um, I have to say that, you know, the, at the core of it, the, the Buddha really cracked it. He cracked open um, a way of freedom and had the incredible skill and wherewithal to s- figure out structures to, to pass that on and allow that to go through time and space for centuries. I mean, that's, that is an accomplishment. And that came from an enlightened mind, and we can you know, really feel sometimes it's all about the, the action out there and certainly there is definitely the urgency of that in these times but where we do that action from is all important and, um, you know, the power of the awakened jitta heart to whatever extent that we awaken and uh, free ourselves, that, that has an impact. So not to underestimate what we're doing here because... We can't really just do that work, that this deep inner work in a vacuum. We need to have the right context and support, um, the right conditions. And so however faultingly imperfect the conditions are in, around a retreat form, um, you know, as uh, one of our teachers, Ajahn Sajito, used to say, it's like a baggy suit. It doesn't fit anyone, but somehow we all kind of are in it. And it has, to some degree, holds us and holds the practice and supports the Dharma. So it is a, an enormous blessing, and um, you know it's easy to lose touch with that when we get called up and um, you know feel a bit sorry for ourselves, which I want to do a lot. Um, and so you know, but when we the, the the clouds part and we we see the territory for what it actually is, we realise this is a blessing. Um, to be able to be here together and to contemplate the Dharma. So this path activity, this um, sati sampajanya, samadhi, these these terms, these wonderful, beautiful terms that come from the ancient language that we have the teachings recording recorded in. It's always nice to return to these terms and to breathe life into them and to see the etymology of some of them so that they help to give us a fullness of meaning um, because the English translations don't always do justice. The word mindfulness is actually in some ways a little bit of an unfortunate translation because it kind of points to the cognitive a lot, the, the mind, you could say, for sati, heartfulness and bodyfulness, suffusing awareness through these three streams of energy, body, heart and mind. But we're very mind-centric, so we have mindfulness as the translation. But sati, shmureti in Sanskrit, has this sense of remembering, regathering, remembering what we're doing, remembering the import of this awakening opportunity, not um, the urgency of that, not just drifting away in our dream worlds, and even more subtly, that faculty which enables a remembrance, 
to return to that, you know, to to be aware, to be present, to whatever degree we can show up. So mindfulness, being mindful of how it is, was always married with this term sati sampajanya. It's married with other ways that we speak about this term sati sampajanya, sampajanya. Sometimes also yoni so many sikara. These are terms that talk about mindfulness married with wise reflection. So, you know, you can be very, very mindful, but not actually have a global sense of time and place and reflective inquiry into what you're actually mindful of. So, for example, you could be driving a car and, you know, I'm really, really mindful. I can feel my sensations of my butt in the seat and I'm holding the steering wheel and I'm... (coughs) You know, I've just got the right amount of pressure on the accelerator. And then you drive into a tree and you say, well, I was really mindful. And you were, but you weren't necessarily aware of the global context. You know, when you're driving, there's a lot to, of information. You know, who else is on the road? What, what, how do you need to adjust? How, you know, how you need to keep um, being very alert? So Sampajanya is really like that more global, reflective mind that's you bring attention to and then you reflect on the nature of the experience but it's hard to do that if there isn't much samadhi if there isn't much strength of holding attention and so last night Kitty Sarah gave this wonderful talk about this cultivation of samadhi and this sort of again if you break down that term sang s-a-m means together so some sense of coming together. And the long A, the A, samadhi, has this sense of movement toward something, together toward. And D, D-H-I, is the same root as dharani. Dharani is to hold. Like sometimes mantra is called a dharani. It means to hold something. Like the great compassion dharani. Dharani Sutra is one of the sutras in the um, esoteric school of Chinese Buddhism. About, it's all about the holding of the great compassion mantra. <laughs> but the to di means to hold. So the sense of a together holding or coming towards a holding that has a togetherness. So this sort of feeling of, of collecting and gathering. Usually it's translated as concentration. So that sort of gives you a sort of a narrow sense of holding and sometimes supported and backed by a willful holding to the object that you've brought attention to, breath, sensation, sound, whatever object, the samatha, the calming meditation that you bring your attention to, to to focus. But that often is a very sort of narrow band and often you sort of can feel that you fall off that and can't hold attention and then it becomes a bit of a battle zone because thoughts come, states come um, distractions come and so to open it up a little more and realise there's a fuller way of approaching this territory where the gathering becomes not just an act of will and directed from a willfulness which has its place but it comes from a deeper embodied way of being where you land and gather into all the the, the awareness, the core of your being becomes a fulcrum within which 
body, heart, and mind are gathered into and suffused with from this awareness. So these these factors that Kitty Saro talked about that help support that gathering, the jhana factors, the vitaka taking a, a thought is tension tends to follow the cognitive thinking where you think about where you're going to go for your holiday, then your attention will go there or your work, you know, so so to realise the power of how thought pulls attention around. So in this way you actually deliberately take a thought, like we were using how is it now, which is a more receptive invitation, rather than get back to the breath, you lazy meditator you. That's sort of whack, whack, whack kind of approach that we tend to internalize. You know, how is it now is a more, you know, softer, inviting relationship to come into contact with breath, body, experience. Or you can use a more yang, like being with breath. Or counting, sometimes if you're very dispersed, maybe five breaths. You know, just to get so the mind is occupied. The mind likes to be occupied, but it tends to get occupied with things that aren't necessarily always that nourishing. So you training the mind to be with nourishing themes. It likes something to do. So you know, giving it you know one breath. Two, and then you start thinking about. I wonder what's for lunch. <laughs> And start again, you know. So this this training, finding whatever helps to catch, to bring us back into the field of our contemplation, body breath. So the vitaka or the mantra is a vitaka, it's a thought form. Butho is one that Ajahn Chah used a lot, which I really like very much. I use it a lot too. The bud b u d. Sometimes with the breath bud. D-H-O, do. As you breathe out, just means be be present, be awake. You're just quietly there in the background. So, so as we bring attention to whatever we're contemplating, then the vichara, that second jhana factor, is about staying connected. You know, it's, uh, it's, it, it's, it's the connected with the Dhamma Vijaya, with the investigation of Dhammas. It's connected with the wise reflection, the Sampajana aspect of mindfulness. It's what, how do I need to adjust to stay connected? When you come into contact, am I too tight? Do I need to relax more? More on the out breath. Man, a day I put my shoulders up round my ears. More crunched up. Maybe I just need to open my eyes, take a deep breath. On the out breath, relax. Maybe I'm all over the place. Maybe I need a bit more, sort of, you know, like bring a bit more effort in. Maybe my knee's really hurting. I need to stand up. So there's some wise relationship to. We're not just, you know, applying a technique and then slavishly kind of hacking away at it without any receptivity to what is the actual result of what we're doing. 
So adjusting, staying connected, receiving in, in a more deeper aspect of vijara is to actually feel what you're connected with. Feel the breath, feel body. And then piti sukha, these two around the pleasure, that, uh, the, the, that principle of sukha, piti sukha, these are terms about ease and blissfulness. Now that sounds like well, that's way out of my league, man. You know, if I can just hang on for a few minutes, that's good for me, you know. But to realize actually that even if there's unpleasant sensation, it's not so much about just having pleasant sensation. It's about the fullness that arises when there's an immersion, when the mind becomes immersed through this connection, this bridge of mindful attention within our embodied experience and the energetics of the body. Yes, so you can bring attention and savor. It's like tasting and savoring the sensation, even what we might call unpleasant. Savoring, and that begins to fill the body with the awareness and the light of the mind. And at the same time, the fickleness of the mind begins to steady on the slow rhythm of the body. So this piti sukha, and inherent in that, there's an ease. Ease, you know, it's not just will and using strength and powering over and dominating. It's sometimes concentration sounds like, but it has to have this element of ease and relaxation, well-being. These elements of bringing that in and this sort of unification, ekagata body and mind, breath, starts to unify, and then the samadhi, this, we feel that when we experience that, we taste that, it feels good. You know, a sense of well-being, a sense of more spaciousness, timelessness, more uh, clarity, some sense of um, composure, rootedness. You know, when we lose that, often the loss of that, there's much more dispersion and we get irritated, we feel more overwhelmed, uh, we get more reactive. We're sort of scanning the senses or scanning the world for some contact, some sort of buzz somehow. So, But this is a practice that you know we cultivate little by little, little by little, this gathering, this being here, and getting a taste for what it's like to feel that sense of samasamadhi, rooted in our beingness of presence. To do that also, the Buddha taught, we have to be able to withstand sensory impingement. As he said, one that cannot withstand. You know, if we react to every noise and every little disturbance, then we're not going to get very far unless we seal ourselves off in a cave. And even then, there's going to be something. (laughs) That's the way the mind is. So to be able to withstand the sensory impingement, and not to get so worried about the perfect space. Withstanding, you know, the, the, the worldly winds that come our way, 
praise and blame and happiness, unhappiness, all the kind of different natural flows of what we experience as being embodied humans that we all experience. We're getting quite so dramatic about that. To say, this is how it is. <laughs> so already as we're doing the smiling, the wisdom is operating, wisely letting go, wisely accepting the spaces we're in, what's happening, the fact that people are people and doing what people do all over the place. You know, if we get all upset about what people do all the time, then there's never any end of it, quite frankly. You know, or we get upset about every mind state that comes our way. As the Buddha said, you know, the feelings, that they come and go. It's like the winds that come through. You know, or like guests that just come through and you just say, oh, why are my feelings just terrible? It's awful and must be some bad thing. And yes, there is a journey, a sort of psychotherapeutic journey that we go can go through, through mind states and feelings, very profound and very important. But in the meditative skill that we're developing around this territory, it's more just to see feeling as feeling, as in the second foundation. You know, is it pleasant, is it unpleasant, is it neutral? It's very simple. The other foundations have quite a lot to say. Mindfulness of body, mindfulness of mind states, mindfulness of phenomena. Mindfulness of feeling is just a paragraph. (laughs) And that's actually sometimes very helpful because you can be impacted by something. It can be really devastating. It's like, God, why did they do that? And I can't, and I can't continue. And I just got, you know, and on it goes... If you actually go right to the core of the experience, there's feeling, yeah, there's a lot of mind state going, but underneath the, f- underneath the feeling, is it pleasant or is it unpleasant? It's unpleasant feeling, okay. Just this much, it's always this practice. It's not asking you to be heroic for the next, you know, 6,000 lifetimes. It's how we sometimes think about it. I used to think about it. That's why I got so overwhelmed by the Enlightenment project. I just thought, man, oh day, you know, I can't even do one day of feeling kind to my fellow nuns and I've got to do this for lifetimes. <laughs> so, you know, it took me quite a long time, so I'll give you this tip because it took me years to figure out it's actually, <laughs> you're just doing this much in this moment, that's all really, you know, let the rest take care of itself. So it's unpleasant feeling, that's what I'm with now. How are you going to be with that? So Ajahn Chah, he said, Know and watch your heart. It's pure, but emotions and mind states come and color it. So let your mind be like a tightly woven net to catch emotions and feelings that come and then investigate them before you react. Very useful advice. So to investigate unpleasant feeling how is it where is it in the body bringing that mindful awareness until with that investigative aspect until we can actually see it as it actually is an energetic dynamic and even the label unpleasant at some level is not really the actuality of the experience as we experience directly it's actually sort of dissolves uh, like the dark cloud over the sun. That might take some time, but 
you know, still, you're in the right territory. So in this practice, as we practice today, to, to not to allow ourselves to continue with this gathering, there's no way that we cannot do enough of this samadhi practice, really. You know, it is the ground of everything. It is the middle part of the path. It is that which has to constantly be cultivated because we lose that samadhi so easily, get dispersed and forget what we're doing, what we're, why we're here, and so on. But to not always, to be able to open it more, this sati sampajanya, this contemplative, as our teacher Ajahn Sumedha used to say, the reflective mind, that the mind that with the nature of awareness is that it reflects. You know, the jitta, the heart, it's uh, reflective. It can reflect on experience, not just be reactive. If it wasn't for that, there would be no possibility of freedom. We'd just be caught in reactivity. That's our only option. Repression, projection, denial, reactivity. So this middle way is uh, to be able to, to experience what we do and then reflect and one frame, when we look at the fourth foundation, one frame that we can begin to look through to help us orientate around our experiences, this teaching, which again is an ongoing daily reflection on what is hindering us, what is obstructing us. So Ajahn Chah said, you know, when he came to the West first, he was really actually very impressed. He's in the mid-1970s, and he came to the UK. That's where I first met him. I was dead impressed by him, so much so that I tracked him down in Thailand eventually. Um, That's a whole story, but anyway, I won't go there now. But he he also came to IMS, and he was quite uh, taken by all the uh, young Westerners meditating. Yeah, because in Thailand, most of uh, I think there's been a huge revival, but at that time, most most of what he was used to as the lay, in the lay community wasn't really the the domain of the lay people to do the meditation. It was more to you know offer the dana and the support and um, you know come for blessings and come for dharma talks. So he was sort of really really impressed, but he was also quite amused. <laughs> By, by the Westerners for all sorts of reasons but one of the things he said eventually after obser- observing us all he said you guys are just like people that have a good lawyer he said, he said you, <laughs> you go on retreat you know like you, you're using your lawyer you know to spring you out of trouble but you don't really contemplate what got you into trouble in the first place <laughs> yeah so he, he was pretty. I mean, he nailed. He definitely nailed nailed us so so completely. And so, you know, he would nail anyone. Actually, he was that perceptive. So, what gets us in trouble? Well, it's these hindrances that we haven't yet awakened to, that we haven't seen through clearly, that tangle us up. So, also, as Ajahn Chah said, you know, it's and the Buddha. You know, we're not just here to get more and more peaceful, or to even pursue. You know, the depth of what can come about with the mind and deeply in samadhi, these openings into extrasensory perception and so on, and these fruits that come from that practice, which are considerable, but then you can go out of your cave and, like um, David Datta, who had enormous 
power of um, concentration. But yes, still hadn't um, undone the hindrances. Still very deluded and full of jealousy and hate and, you know, got himself into a lot of trouble. So, you know, one can be very impressed. He was very impressive as a... As a as an, as an orator of the Dharma, he was very impressive as a ascetic, and yet he was, you know, trying to kill the Buddha. So something wasn't quite right. <laughs> so people can be very impressive as meditators, but if we haven't really purified the heart, transformed these hindrances, then we haven't really understood what the territory is about. So, so Ajahn Charles said, "There's the peace of the." Of a of a of the mind gathered in samadhi, and then he said, "There's the peace of wisdom, the peace that comes through clear seeing." And he said, "For the peace of wisdom, you have to sort of get out the trenches, you know, and not to be worried about disturbance. And in fact, he would say, even further, disturbance is the path. If there's no hindrances, there's no path." I mean, there kind of is, but, you know, this is a really big part of our path activity. <laughs> is the mind called in desire right now? Do you want to be somewhere else? <laughs> what are you wanting? The wanting of the mind, as he would point to. You know, this, this sense of always moving to the next thing. And the, the illusion in, in that Kamatana in particular, that craving for absorption into experience is elusive and delusive because we get there, you know, the perfect holiday, and then we want to, you know, we get bored. We want to kind of do something else, or we want a cup of tea, and then we get that, and then we want to go somewhere else and have something else, just a snack. And, you know, it operates all the time at all levels. Um, and until we really see that energy, we're constantly being compelled by it. So in the, the Satisampajanya, we bring attention, we notice, is the mind the, affected by body, mind, feeling, affected by that energy? And we have then the chance to contemplate it. What does it feel like? Whereas in the body, what are the narratives? For the sake of what we see and what we investigate, we are become freed from, not forever. I know when I used to listen when I was young to Krishnamurti, and he would say, if you see it once, it's finished. And I think, actually, I've seen it about a million times, and I know I'm not finished. <laughs> That's why I had to digress from Krishnamurti. So I need a, you know, there's no teacher. So I think I need a teacher. <laughs> The Buddha will do, you know, he'll do. <laughs> enough for me. <laughs> Aversion, you know, just um, coupled with often wanting to move underneath is also the sense of discontent. I don't want to be here. You know, it's all irritation, ill will, negativity, that, those kinds of... And it projects out very quickly... And it projects in onto the self. All of these minds very projective. Jitta projects inwardly, generates the sense of self, projects out, colors the perception of the world. 
through these lenses. And so often, you know, more often than not, it projects in some of these unacceptable feelings and we find ourselves creating and feeling like a bad sense of self. So, you know, these, these you know, to, to be able to see that this is just like this feeling is unpleasant, this is to name, this is aversion, this is irritability, this is wanting and not wanting of the mind. You can contemplate it or energies of, of this third ter- these are just territories I mean there's so many permeations that, of these five main f- streams of hindrances of the third et- territories usually um, named as dullness sleepiness but it's really very profound it is that sense of dullness but it kind of goes right into these deep places of just wanting to shut down not one, you know, not really wanting to be here. Unconsciousness, denial. You know, it's a very hu- great human kind of um, occupation is our capacity for denial. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, look at we're looking at climate change. How much we not only should look at the politicians. That's gross, but how much we too. Um, you know, and when we were in. Um, South Africa during the you know the height height of the AIDS pandemic, the ten year projected protracted government denial from government that got to extremely crazy proportions, and the whole country in this similar to what's happening here around the climate goes into these crazy swirls, you know. So, or if we get sick ourselves, you know, not wanting to know or. There's just so many levels of this shutting down. And so this Dhamma Vijaya, it's, 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 it works against those tendencies. You keep inquiring. I don't really want to hear that. That goes against my view or my premise or my... So we kind of go, we shut down, that shutting down. Um, so to wake up is, is not easy. We have to keep challenging ourselves. Yeah and allowing ourselves to be challenged. And the opposite, this um, dullness, the sort of shutting down, and then the, the restlessness of the mind. Worry, anxiety, can't settle, bouncing off the walls. And sometimes that can be very, very strong. Mm-hmm. Jen Char talked about how that was, you know, he would sort of wrap himself in his blanket and just like, nail himself on the seat because he had so much restlessness you know just to endure that feeling sometimes without like running around the block 300 times to try and expel the energy which is one way of dealing with it may be skillful but also in meditation we're learning to withstand um, what we usually the energy we usually disperse so that we can transmute that energy you know, and, that, that, and then we have to find our own tolerance for doing that. You know, sometimes that's as much as I can take, and I'm going to go for a long hike. <laughs> that's fine. You know, and other times we can sit there and hold what is hard to be with until it begins to dissipate and purify. It's also connected with this worry, anxiety, energy, 
what if and and what and you know it's all around the sense of self you know so this this being able to to relax to let go to give over to trust to just trust the process I used to say when I was training as a therapist trust the process trust the process of the retreat trust your own inner process of applying the path activity And then these, this last territory that no doubt all of these, and mentioning these because all of these will come today, all visitors. <laughs> I'm not mentioning anything new or esoteric or profound here. And yet, in a way, this is the most... I mean, this, this morning we started to learn about a very profound esoteric part of the mantra school of Chinese Buddhism. It's very, very... It's like bringing in the heavy guns, actually. It's like yeah, bringing this energy into the whole dynamics. very powerful. Um, but this, this also, actually, the hindrances is also the heavy gun teaching. You say, oh, I've heard that so many times, haven't you got something new? <laughs> it's like we have to hear this because we're so caught in it for so much. You know? And we so believe them when we're in these states. We're in them. Yeah. But what's, what's quite good is that one day along the, the, the way you realize, I wasn't in that for three weeks, I was in it for three hours. Mm, that's nice. It shows you something is working. So this last territory is to do really with the thinking mind. It's called doubt. It's uh, to do with the the identification, over-identification, in a particular way with the cognitive, which leads us into this excessive thinking through and doubt. That's why when they talk about Entering the stream, taste of nibbana, the the uh, first stage of um, fully moving into the awakening process, irreversibly, it's around the release out of the cognitive. It's like we're not dependent on the thinking to tell us who we are, what's going on, and what the world is, in the way that we have been before. That's all very well, and we need that to cross the road and write our emails. But that's not the only reality, and that's certainly not the awakened consciousness. So being able to, you know, usually when there's a doubt, we try and think it through, think it, think it, think, 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 think. You know, should I be doing this? Maybe not. Maybe there's something else. And maybe there is. But if we move from that energy at that level, then it doesn't ever really resolve, usually. Should I do this or shouldn't I? But when we actually, again, this dropping beneath the cognitive, trusting the intuitive awareness, beginning to train ourselves to not be so reliant on thought as the mediator of all reality. This is just a thought. This is just doubt. That which sees the doubt isn't doubting. It is. It just is. And then, you know, those big issues, we're cooking with them in a different part of our being. And then the responses, the answers that come from that part of our being are going to be usually more real and authentic and all of our energy is going to be in line with where we need to move or not. 
So today as we um, practice to begin to bring these two pieces together, the gathering, how is it now, the returning, simplifying with the breath, with the body, deepening, connecting, exploring these factors that support quality of embodied presence, ease, savoring, sensation, feeling tone. And then when we notice and contemplate opening sampajanya, reflecting on what is actually moves through the jitta, what moves through awareness, As um, Ajahn Tate said at the end of the day, this path is about recognizing the difference between the jitta and what moves through the jitta, the heart and what moves through the heart. What is that? You know, is it colored or tinged by in these territories of the hindrances? Wanting, not wanting, shutting down, worry, anxiety, think, 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 doubting, sabotaging. Just being able to notice this is the mind in this state. And underneath that, what feeling tone does it feel? Pleasant, unpleasant. <coughs> so to bring this into a place of simplicity, although it's, there's a complexity that we're working with, that the practice itself is always something quite simple. How is it now? So how is it now? It's feeding into our, our body. Mind and heart, what's present? What are we working with? Establishing again, being with breath, being with how it is. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.